Hello and welcome to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Today we're asking our own version of what if. What if all the X-Men did go to their own separate place, as Magneto has often talked about? It's not just a what if, it's actually been happening in the comics for quite some time in the place of Krakoa. And we're going to dive into that with comics experts Steve and Will from the Hype is My Superpower podcast. And as always, even if you haven't read the comics, we're going to be talking a lot about how the same questions play out in the movies and what they mean for all the larger ways these questions are a metaphor. All that more after a commercial break, we have absolutely 100% zero control over. Welcome back, I'm Matthew, your host, and we are about to jump into the 149th episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast, Ooh. but before we do, I want to give you a quick introduction, because that means that coming up soon is the 150th episode, and we're doing something a little special for that. We are playing what I like to call Fandom Feud. What that means is that on Sunday, October 10th at 4 p.m. Central Time, so 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 3, p uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Mountain, 2 p.m. Pacific, I hope I got that right, but 4 p.m. Central, Sunday, October 10th, on Twitch, the Ethical Panda Twitch channel, uh, we're going to have a live recording of our 150th episode. We have a number of returning guests, people who have been important to superhero ethics at various points over the future, and we're going to play what I call Fandom Feud. Now, this, of course, has absolutely no reference to any other board game, any other game show you might have heard of. This is completely... Uh, parody or satirical, please don't sue us. I'm going to make 20 cents on this episode at a maximum. But the point is, what will happen is, well, a number of guests, as you may have seen, I've been putting out surveys now for a couple months asking you things like, who's the MCU villain who you most agree with? Or what Star Wars character would make the best prom date? Or something like that. I'm going to put those questions out to our contestants, and they're going to have to guess. And if they guess the answer that has 48% of people guessed that answer... They get 48 points, etc. I'm not sure what prizes are, but I'm sure there'll be something great prize for the winner, some mild embarrassment for the loser. It's going to be a lot of fun. Check it out if you can. Join us on Twitch at, again, Sunday, October 10th, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. And if you can't, don't worry. It will be going lot. It will be going up that next Tuesday as our 150th episode, assuming I can edit all of that nutty audio. So please check that out, but now let's get dive into the 149th episode with Steve and Will. How are you folks doing tonight? Doing great, man. Yeah, I've got uh, zero complaints. Just um, living life, trying to uh, pretend like I'm actually working while I'm actually report recording a podcast. <laughs> hey, shh, shh. <laughs> hey, listen, this is work. This is work. We are all professional podcasters here. You know, we make two or three cents an episode, something like that. So, oh, man. Oh, you got. Goodness. You're making. I, I feel like the uh, the the meme. You're making two or three cents. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's why I'm helping to build up hype. Is my superpower. You know, there rising tide lifts all boats, imperceptibly. Well, uh, thank you so much for having us. We're we're really really excited to be back. Yeah, it's a lot of fun being I, here. I really love it. At some point, I want to get you and Jessica Plummer on all together because you all have become my kind of sources for the comic book stuff because. You know, as I've said, I'm a dirty casual. I mostly know the on-screen stuff. But I love that most of the questions that I'm so fascinated by are ones that are often either based in the comics or that the comics have taken in different directions or just explored sometimes in five different directions when on-screen has only gone in one. And when you first started telling me about Krakoa, I really got into it because, at least as I've understood it, I want us to start here, this question of... Do, what do the X-Men do in regard to larger society? Do they attempt to 
assimilate? Do they attempt to sort of become part of society and convince people that they're just like them? They just, you know, can read minds and shoot fire or ice. No big deal. Or do they separate? Do they create their own space or do they do something else? And so let's just kind of start there. How do you see that as kind of like one of the central questions of the whole X-Men story, especially as it's played out on screen? Um, I mean, this kind of big picture question, I think, is more of a, a Steve thing. Uh, <laughs> because Steve is especially uh, trained in answering almost all things mutant because he's read all but maybe like 40 comics that the mutants have been in uh in the last 70 years <laughs> uh but so for me uh well i just I, want to say i'm starting out with on screen so you can't pass the buck quite yet yes <laughs> so um <laughs> i guess you know the the art the the question or the i guess dream has always been coexistence of um mutants living within human society and coexisting together like a human and a mutant can live in the same building can be part of the same family and they explore that in um in very lightly in the movies uh more so in like the 90s uh uh uh, cartoon there was a there was a lot of that kind of conversation going on Uh, i think they just had more time to be able to explore it um Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, in in the comics, they get they they explore every avenue possible about that. Um, whether right. whether it's like full segregation, whether there's um, uh, the mutant town within a, within like a borough uh, in like inside New York, uh, if they go and live on an asteroid off planet, if they go and live on an island in uh, in the middle of San Francisco Bay, like there's they've they've tried many different approaches, uh, with Krakoa being the latest example. Right. And and yeah, in so in the in the movies and the um and in, you know, other adapted media, it often is um, you know, pitted as this sort of Xavier's dream of uh, coexistence, assimilation, uh, right. contrasted with Magneto's vision, which is separatist and more more focused often around like a raw sense of survival. Um, right. That that separatism is, um, I mean, first of all, like he is a supremacist. He does believe that mutants are, you know, superior. The, they they call it Homo superior is the the species right. name for. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, Magneto really plays into that. And, um, and so he is, um, the, the, um, you know, that's kind of the, the conflict that gets explored over and over and over and over again in the movies. Um, and why, you know, they find such compelling actors for Magneto that they have to throw him into plots that he probably doesn't have anything to do with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, going back to the very first, um, you know, the very first X-Men movie, you've got, um, you know, uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart playing chess. And this is pretty much exactly what they're talking about. This is the the sort of philosophical split that determined right. the two separate courses for mutant kind and so krakoa uh in the comics ends up i, I don't know I, we don't want to get there yet but krakoa ends up being a the synthesis of them 
and uh, once they start working together, they they do this um, this different sort of project, which has elements right. of both. But <clears throat> right, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely get into that. Let's just kind of stay with the movies for a little bit longer. Yes, but I think it's really in, I, just because we want to build the context for it. Totally. And let's kind of talk about each one of them. So for Professor X, you talk about kind of it's this dream. It seems to me that so much of what he's trying to do is he he wants it feels like his kind of central idea is that the the tension between the two groups is based on fear that the quote unquote you know normal humans they fear the mutants because of how much power the mutants have the mutants fear the the normal humans because of how much you know that they're just completely outnumbered and that they are afraid and that that fear can you know, kind of lead to, well, we have to get them before they are strong enough to get us kind of ideas. Yeah. And it seems a lot of what he's trying to do, therefore, is to kind of break down the mythology, break down the fear, and kind of, uh, you know, can't we all just get along idea? Do you think that's kind of an accurate way of saying what kind of Xavier is going for? For sure. Yeah, I think uh, often the comparison is made between um, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, although that's kind of uh, a very shallow reading of, of both of those uh, right. figures as activists and thinkers but yes uh you know uh, this sort of fear you know the we will always be hated and feared is just like or hated and feared is is just like um a constant refrain in right. in, in every adaptation and every every uh version of the x-men story and so yeah. it's all about how you confront that yeah, I think uh, on top of that, I think there's there's also they don't really go too far into the connection between the two, but there's also a like learned bias for um, where Xavier's coming from and where um, where Magneto's coming from because with with Magneto, he is a survivor of Auschwitz and mm-hmm. he has seen right. firsthand. Uh, the evil that man is capable of, um, even against their own. This was before uh, he even fully developed his uh, mutant abilities and such. And then you have uh, Charles Xavier, who for most of his adult life was an able-bodied uh, white man. He was bald, but uh, so he wasn't blonde, but he was, <laughs> uh, you know, bald, blue eyes, um, uh, blended he into society. He passed as human. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his his mutant ability manifested in a way that is not easily perceptible by the naked eye. Like he has been able to blend in and and be given the best of uh, what humanity right. has to offer. He he's a trust fund baby. On top of that, like, yes, you know he has a very specific view of he wants the rest of the of mutant kind to live the life he's led, but so few people just in general have even lived that life (laughs) right and i think that's such a key importance to them and because in a way it's kind of it's very much the exact definition of privilege you know in that it is possible for xavier to say we don't have to be quite so afraid because he has never been quite so afraid he has never been on the receiving end of being the minority that is hated and feared and literally attempted to be genocided uh, to some extent was genocided as, uh, you know, Eric was as a young Jewish child in Poland and living through the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And But I think on the flip side of that, uh, 
for for those of us who do you know have certain types of you know social privilege the question is what to do with it and right. you know i think the the answer is to to say like you know to extend that privilege or to abolish it uh in one way or another and his his response is i think well you know the this trauma is real but also like we can't let only that shape us going forward and right. if if i have you know um been able to experience this life of privilege then it's my job to you know create this school create this safe environment and uh be able to afford that level of coexistence to anyone he can mm -hmm. right I, I think that's a really important point especially in terms of how these issues are a metaphor for for things that happen in our own world you know mm -hmm. as, as you pointed out <clears throat> often people look to this as martin luther king and malcolm x and one of the best analyses I've ever read uh, made the point, and this is something that, that I also very much agree with as, as a student of social movements, is it's not that this is a direct analogy. It certainly wasn't Stan Lee like, commenting <laughs> on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. If anything, it's a commentary on a tension that often develops within social justice movements for oppressed groups, which is this question of, like, do we attempt to kind of <clears throat> blend in as much as we can and ease the fear versus kind of either actual separation or more of, you know, the, the more pride side of what um, Magneto does, the, you know, to take it like in, in other words, like we're here, we're queer, get used to it, you know? Yeah. And I, I said that very intentionally because the social movement I was most involved with growing up was the gay rights movement, which became over time the queer rights movement. And that, even that was very much the same kind of dynamic. And you'll still see today of, there are some people within the LGBTQI or queer or gay lesbian, however they describe it, some folks who really want to say, listen, people just want the white picket fence and 2.3 kids and a cat and a dog, just like you do. They just want it with two men or two women. <clears throat> and others who are saying, no, 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 no. We want to blow the doors off of heterosexual ideas of relationship or gender binaries or all of it. And mm -hmm. having studied social justice movements, like that tension is almost always there. And I feel like it's easier to compare it to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, both because that's the social justice movement most Americans know the most. And it was the one that was probably the loudest at the time that this uh, series was kind of at, at one of its early heights. But, but I think in some ways it is a very accurate portrayal of something that to some extent is true of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And certainly Martin was <clears throat> in his own way a child of the privilege you could have, black middle class under segregation, but mm -hmm. still he had a lot of privilege Malcolm did not have. But that you can apply that to almost all of these movements in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as so also someone who spent a lot of time in social movements, uh, anti-war, economic justice, things like that, mm -hmm. they are they can be extremely fractious. And you have people yeah. coming to these things with strong opinions and and you know deep personal trauma. And you know it's it's a, a messy process to have to live with and respect each other and try and accomplish goals together through all that. Right. I often think it's very interesting. I'm curious if this is something that's explored more in the comics because I think at one point, especially in the <clears throat> the first class series of movies, when Jennifer Lawrence is playing Mystique, she makes a comment that the nature of Xavier's uh, mutation. <clears throat> is almost completely invisible. And so he can hide in a way that like she or beast or someone like that has a lot more trouble doing to me. It kind of speaks to like 
Xavier's power itself is a privilege and that it is you can't look at him and know that he's a mutant the way someone would have to like wear special shoes for their feet or something like that. Is that something that the comics ever explore in terms of Xavier not quite understanding what it's like for others because how, how easily he can hide it? Yeah. Um, I'm struggling to think of a specific example offhand, but um, it, I don't uh, about Xavier in particular but passing in general is um, a constant thing in in uh, the mutant verse, and you have characters like the Morlocks, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, a, an entire uh, group of mutants who uh, are you know so um, so unable to pass, so far away from human standards of um, you know normal or of beauty that they uh live in tunnels underneath new york city and are are basically you know a hunted underclass yeah i can see that being so very different from xavier's experience yeah and so they you know they will like uh be very snide or dismissive to you know the xavier students who are considered you know the pretty ones and get to live above ground and in this mansion where they you know um enjoy all of these privileges and get to be out and open and or or at least you know just not have to be shunned underground yeah yeah i feel well, like now it's like oh go ahead i was just gonna say i was gonna, i feel like the characters the mutants who have been introduced in the last like 15 years have uh they've kind of started to finally blend that where they have uh main characters who do not who are not passing as mm-hmm. regular humans whereas you know the first 30 years of of x-men the the most non-passing was like nightcrawler yeah nightcrawler beast and angel who just has wings and it's and like yeah. everyone else i can wear shades and i'm and i'm i'm good uh I right. just won't fly. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I just I just wear a backpack all the time, guys. Exactly. It's cool. Right. <laughs> Those aren't wings. I'm just wearing a backpack. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's important to also name here that like when we talk about passing, that's a term that depending on the community you're talking about can have very different meanings. And, yeah. and I think one of the things I appreciate is that we're talking about it there specifically in terms of the X-Men because I think like – passing in terms of disability can have a very mm. different meaning mm. than passing in terms of being trans or things like that and so mm-hmm. just to be very clear, clear the commentary is limited specifically to the x-men as yes. like you know yeah absolutely. if professor x says guys they're not as afraid of mutants as you think the fact that he says that as someone who people don't look at and have a visceral reaction to of oh my god he's so different it, it does impact him in terms of the degree to which he can speak for others uh, or does speak for others or maybe he shouldn't um Clearly, I, you can tell I have a little bit of a bias, but Professor X does clearly have some good things to say about this as well. But yeah. let's get to Magneto now. So where do you see as Magneto's kind of stance on these questions? Especially in the, on screen, because I think in the comic books and even on screen, he's had so many different perspectives. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, it, again, it's it's very much informed by this history of trauma and, um, you know, this, this idea that I've, you know, I've watched one... Uh, minority community that i've been a part of be targeted be um a victim of genocide and i won't let it happen again and so it's a very you know defensive standpoint but 
uh, very much uh, billing itself as as very pragmatic, practical minded. You know that this is um, that the best that you can do for yourself is is survive. Right. I think that's a really good way of summing it up. Once again, Will is nodding. Um, so oh I my gosh, yeah, sorry. But mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Will, don't worry. This is why Will is really great on Twitch, folks. Um, <laughs> and great on podcasts, don't get me wrong, but i got to twist his tail about it a little bit. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I think is most interesting about Magneto is, well, at least on screen, it feels like sometimes they want him to be sympathetic because of the fear. And then they kind of throw in the superiority to kind of remind you, but wait, he's the villain. You're supposed to cheer for the people who are fighting him. Can I and... just <laughs> can I just jump in? This is my Please. maybe my least favorite thing about um, super superhero media or uh, you know action movies in general is that they try and uh, make the whole thing a little headier by introducing some like actual compelling ideological conflict. You know, they want to have after Heath Heath Ledger's Joker, they always want to have a villain that you can kind of like root for or feel for, or like understand where they're coming from a little bit, but they can't ever make it ambiguous who you're actually supposed to be rooting for in the movie. So they use means rather than ends. They, they, they villain code the, the, you know, they have, they have the villain do something just completely, um, uh, you know, unforgivable in order to just clearly code them as a villain. You know, Killmonger goes around and kills people. Also, he's named freaking Killmonger, but like, (laughs) uh, you know, so it, 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 dodges the idea of who's actually philosophically right in this story mm-hmm. by just blatantly throwing this oh yeah by the way this this person who wants to change things somewhat or interrupt society they're the villain and the the talking point ends up being the exact same that you see about every social justice movement which is you know i really i can understand their ideals but i can't support their methods no matter what the actual methods of the social justice movement actually is yeah i I think you're so true i think i think you're so right about that especially with it being a problem that quite a lot of superhero movies fall into i feel like Killmonger is one of the ones who comes very close. Although, mm-hmm. yes, the the means he uses are clearly meant to be a little bit like clearly kind of like now he's crossing the line. But but even there, like I think a lot of people came out of that movie being like, I still think Killmonger's right, and I yeah. I think it's not coincidence that my favorite superhero movie of all time, or at least my favorite MCU superhero movie, is Civil War, where I do think like I know many mm-hmm. people who came out clearly Team Cap, and others who are like, no, I think Tony's right, you know it. Um, but but pulling it back to this issue. I agree with you because I feel like my favorite parts of most of the movies are when Magneto is presenting a case that makes a lot of sense and the movies work when he kind of like, he's doing what makes sense for that. But then you have movies like days of future past, which Magneto (laughs) in the first half of that, the first two thirds of that movie is one of my favorite portrayals of Magneto I've ever seen right up until the point that he remembers, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be a thinking, developed character. I'm supposed to be the villain. <laughs> and he starts acting in ways that make absolutely no sense because he's just the villain. And it's, you're right, it's so frustrating because I do agree with so much of where he's coming from, even if some of it's further than I would want to go. Yep. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It is kind of a frustration uh, because 
like in comics you can just have the bad guy get away because you're going to explore that again later but in movies it's just i would assume because i come from comics so i'm okay with it but like (laughs) for for a moviegoer it's just not satisfying if the villain gets away at the end so Mm -hmm. like they have to do something so heinously wrong that it makes sense to kill them off <laughs> or to well, like and, end yeah. their and then they have to die but it can't be the hero's fault it, no it can't yeah it can't be the hero's <laughs> fault but they gotta <laughs> die and they can't die a martyr or else then their cause is just and so like right you know i have to um give a quick shout out to permanent guest host paul hoppy because you know he loved carly for the first half of falcon and the winter soldier until she decided to be absolutely ridiculous and like go against every she spent all this time doing everything right and doing everything Mm -hmm. from the ground up and then all of a sudden she just decides they're only going to listen if we kill people so let's go kill people and it's like ah, that's that's not what you've been doing this entire time (laughs) And, and i actually there i disagree a bit because i think the show it's subtle, but it shows you that people do listen when she kills people. So it's kind of a like, mm. is she actually right as horrible as it is? But th- th- that, that's often a whole other subject. And as it happens, me and Will and Paul did eight episodes about this exact topic. <laughs> Check them out. Um, uh, the other thing, just real quick, I want to say about this is that it's interesting to me that Magneto does happen to be the exception in the movies. He is the one villain character who isn't killed off who sticks around and mm-hmm. gets thrown back into every single movie no matter how much he may or may not fit right in that movie's plot. <laughs> right. now important there he's not in the mcu yet at least that's all been in the fox x-men universe yeah. but yeah right. very curious to see uh the i'm so worried that, about that, that. Ma- <laughs> i know the other thing that that uh fox sorry the other thing that the magneto character brings up that i think is a very interesting part of this whole question and this goes very much to the Malcolm X, Black Power, Black Pride kind of ideas. But again, also, you know, queer pride, like I said, or so many of these movements, you know, is I think it's best summed up in the wonderful scene he has with Mystique, where he talks about, you know, how much she hides who she is. And mm. he wants to see the real her, by which he means like her, you know, her mutation, her, her blue self. And that seems to be a theme that he talks about a lot is that. If part of what Professor X is saying is, listen, guys, let's kind of smooth off our edges a little bit. Let's let's not be quite so mutant about everything. Let's not scare the normals. And Magneto is saying the exact opposite, you know, and it reminds me of every time the organizers of a, a pride parade have said, let's maybe not have the gay men dancing in leather, you know, like that kind of thing. And like <laughs> the king of pride it, debate. Yeah. Yeah, it's a question, I think, in all of these movements of do we try, do we hide who we are in order to not scare the people who might be afraid of us? And and at least in that movie, I think in some of the others, Magneto seems to really be a proponent of that, of like, don't hide your mutation just because of them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you, and I think one of the things that we see uh, eventually in Krakoa is that pride and uh, maximization of the individual and who you are as a mutant ends up being a huge part of the sort of ethos of that setting and that storyline. Yeah. So let's use that to transition. And we're going to start by just going into some history. And, uh, you know, for those folks who don't know much about Krakoa, I certainly don't. 
give us just a couple of minutes of what exactly is this place and what's the role that it plays for the X-Men in the comics uh, in, in, the, in the modern day. Totally. <laughs> so um, just a real quick history lesson. Um, so the X-Men were first introduced in 1963, but they didn't really take off immediately the way that Spider-Man or the Fantastic Four did. Stanley and Jack Kirby quickly left the title to focus on other books and the comics basically sucked for the rest of the 1960s and was essentially canceled in early 1970s. In 74, they decided to reboot the book with a new international cast of characters, including Storm, Wolverine, Nightcrawler, and Colossus. And the villain they used for their first reboot story was Krakoa. Krakoa was a... they were So the mission was they were sent to this island in the South Pacific where um, a new mutant of immense power was detected and they were to go, you know, either recruit or subdue the mutant. Um, and the first cast of uh, X-Men characters were uh, defeated and captured. And then, uh, so Xavier recruited a second cast and there's a reboot in 2006 the, he, that cast also lost they recruited a third but don't worry about that uh, comics happened the comics happened uh, the, the part is you know uh, this, this new cast including Storm Wolverine Nightcrawler Colossus uh, were brought in um, and you know it was uh, the Krakoa Krakoa so they you know it turns out that the there wasn't a mutant on the island. The island was the mutant, and which is hilarious because it's it's an island. It's not. It, it's not what like anyway. <laughs> um. So that that was silly enough that a, a big metric of whether a storyline is successful in the comics is how often it's reused. And Krakoa wasn't used again for another forty years. Um, and so you can kind of say, well, you know, uh, but it was successful enough mm -hmm. to keep the relaunch going. And then in the new environment, Chris, uh, writer, Chris, Chris Claremont put the social justice and civil rights parallels front and center under this direction. The book became wildly successful. And by the end of the eighties, the X-Men was the biggest franchise in all of comics. So even though Krakoa wasn't originally explicitly about civil rights and wasn't, you know, uh, a hugely influential storyline on its own. I just think it's really interesting to point out the shared origin Krakoa has with both the civil rights focus and the success of X-Men and right. its place in their history. I, I also just want to say I'm a little yeah. gratified because I remember the, on our last episode when you brought up Krakoa, I was wondering if it had any connection to the uh, volcano in Indonesia <laughs> called Krakatoa. In name and the only. fact that you say that it's in the South Pacific tells yeah. me, okay, there probably is at least a little bit of intentionality in the reference there. Totally. Anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they ended up throwing it into space with magnet powers because, of course. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so uh, Krakoa kind of got soft reintroduced in the 2010s. Um, a Krakoa, like, spawn was introduced as a uh, student at the Xavier uh, at the school um, and it kind of became the grounds or merged with the grounds at the the upper uh, upstate 
uh, New York school mansion grounds that, that they live on. Um, and then, uh, you know, that storyline kind of petered out and there was this sort of blank spot. And when current uh, creative head uh, Jonathan Hickman took over the X-Men franchise recently, um, they just kind of like whole cloth introduced this new status quo where uh, the X-Men created this separatist nation uh, back on the island in the South Pacific, although as we kind of see, it extends all over the place and... um, uh, and that is Krakoa now. Got it. Yes, that is and- the place of Krakoa, which is now a nation that houses tens of thousands, I guess a couple hundred thousand mutants. Yeah. And okay. and like Will said earlier, the, the idea of a mutant separatist nation isn't new in the comics. It's been explored in various iterations uh, for decades upon decades uh magneto's done it a couple times in space because cool why not it's space sure. um and then uh the x-men uh had a similar thing in um it, off the coast of san francisco when they were uh at their lowest point and most closely facing uh, mm-hmm. a total extinction so, so talk about in this most recent comics run, how did Krakoa become the kind of home of all these mutants? What what led and, and what role are both Xavier and Magneto playing in, in this coming about? <laughs> That's such a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, so um, when Hickman took... So Hickman, just background on... Two sentence background on him. He's known for just overhauling the entire title that he is in charge of at the time. Uh, okay. He has a legendary run on Fantastic Four, um, and his run on Fantastic Four ended with resetting the entire Marvel Universe. Um, <laughs> he uh, he had a equally legendary run on Avengers, where he had a rotating roster of 40-plus characters uh, on the Avengers, and he was able to tell a cohesive story at the same time. Uh, and so when he's given the entire mutant license to do whatever he wants with X-Men, uh, he goes deep, he goes incredibly <laughs> deep. And so beyond just creating this new nation of Krakoa that is led by mutants for the mutants, uh, he goes and t- picks up m- random story plots from the last 50 years and makes them work and so we have characters like moira mctaggart um who has been a long time uh uh sort of human human scientist ally to the x-men um she's the cia agent in the first class movie right uh yes uh so she uh, they, he establishes that she is a mutant that has a very specific mutant ability of of she redoes her life every single time she dies. So yeah, when she dies, she goes. Yeah, she gets to relive the whole thing with her memories. Yeah, when her mutant ability that doesn't sound like a good mutation. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's right. It's very specific. But Hickman introduced that to help create why she was so involved in both magneto and charles xavier's lives and 
uh, how that culminates is, uh, oh, she also had a life where she married Apocalypse. And then, <laughs> like, and so she that culminates in her bringing everyone together and saying, this is what you guys need to do. You guys need to come together. You guys need to put your differences aside. We've been building towards this. We need, uh, we need a nation of mutants. Yeah, she says, you know, I, I've lived like, you know, what, seven or eight lives by this point. Eight or nine, I suppose. Uh, I've seen 10,000 years in the future. I've, I've tried every single way to, to keep mutant kind alive to to stop the total destruction of our species so again it's coming from this very defensive standpoint of this is what's stopping um extinction and uh and it it kind of bubbles up into this odd parallel where uh the humans inevitably turn towards this uh um techno organic you know machine alien race uh and and it's about evolution as a a factor for change that keeps humanity alive so they're not just preserving mutant kind as a separatist species this is like keeping human uniqueness and individualism and soul as a real you know like factor in the universe against this overwhelming like cold machine logic and so um and so she's like i've seen everything this is the only the the only way to keep our our people together is to um you know to to start this um this separatist nation that is the unity of xavier magneto and apocalypse and they're this um fascinating fascinating uh it's because they they take the idea of a nation state and Mm -hmm. do it completely so it's not just like you know a bunch of separatist you know rebels uh who don't interact with the world on an island in space or or on off the coast they go to the world economic forum in davos or they you know have they have treaties with other nations they they have trade uh they have you know uh economic agencies and they have uh you know policy and foreign policy and all of these things like they're very um consciously trying to uh nation build and they're doing this with a population that is larger than a lot of actual countries Mm -hmm. you know so and 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 do this from a position of power they they want to um they, they at Davos they very explicitly announced their intention to sort of play the neoliberal economic game and beat the humans at it and by <laughs> this establish their their place within right. uh this community of nations as having power well and this is fascinating because when you first started telling me about this, I, I didn't understand how Professor X was a part of it because it seemed like a clear indication <laughs> that Magneto had won. <laughs> yeah. But if I understand it, it is somewhat different because while Magneto had often said, we as Homo Superior are different from humanity and should be completely cut off and separate, this seems to be more saying humanity is broken up into a whole bunch of different nations instead of us trying to integrate into human nations, we should basically be treated as like, you know, no different than 
uh, you know, Norwegians or Germans or Angolans or anybody else who has a national identity and thus a, na a nation. And, and so is that kind of a fair way of saying it, that they're going to continue to be integrated into human society, but with their own homeland and with their own sort of shared identity as a, a race or a group or a nation? Yeah. Absolutely. Is that kind of an accurate statement? I think in practice, though, it ends up being a little more protectionist than that because right. they don't allow humans into Krakoa except by invitation. Um, and they also reserve the right for the X-Men to basically have extrajudicial superhero rights around the world in every country as oh part boy. of their <laughs> as part of their treaties. Yeah. So well how they introduce themselves to make themselves to get them get them that sort of uh free reign is they get Krakoa to um so remember that the entire island is this living being <laughs> uh mm -hmm. that is their nation and so they're they're labeled Krakoans just as we are technically Americans. Um so uh, but there's also an entity called Krakoa. Yes. So there's the name entity called Krakoa. There's the nation of Krakoa, and they are from the nation of Krakoa. So as Krakoans, they have gotten the entity Krakoa to create <laughs> these like super plants and drugs that um, can basically cure illnesses uh, and help world uh help end world hunger like all these different extend um, human lifespans like yeah. all that stuff and so this uh the the mutant nation of krakoa is offering this this that's kind of their their silver platter of just like we we bring this to the table give us let us be able to go wherever we want without a passport basically <laughs> among yeah. a handful and, of and also things. accept us into the community yes. of nations Except, we will we will us, trade us we will give you life-saving drugs for every nation that does not accept us we will not give you these life-saving drugs that's just the black and yeah. white <laughs> okay i mean it's it's real politique you know uh yeah. chancellor bismarck would be very happy with what's going on here <laughs> what well, i'm there's so much ethically to unpack here, but one question I'm curious about in terms of how they frame this is this idea of we've been scattered all over the world, but we actually deserve our own homeland. We deserve our own nation where we can be safe and powerful and have our own identity, but also protected. It, you could see that very much as parallel to the creation of the state of Israel. And that's yes. obviously a very politically loaded topic. I'm not trying to get into that subject here. Uh, listeners may know I have my own opinions about it, but I'm just curious Given Eric's history, is that a connection we ever hear him explicitly make? Uh, because it seems like a very natural connection that he would make. I can also see that that would be a little bit of a political third rail that they <laughs> might just not want to have ever touched in the comics. But I'm wondering if like he, he or other Jewish X-Men ever explicitly made that connection. Not No. Yet. Yeah. I'm, I mean, there's even uh, a, an X-Men... Uh, uh, ally, frequent ally, who is um, Israeli and actually a member of Mossad, uh, okay. named Sabra, and I can't think of her being bubbling up into this storyline either. Okay. Um. And yeah. Yeah. That nobody's made that connection yet. Although the story is still ongoing, and we have quote unquote only read about a hundred something issues. Um, okay. and there's still another, we're still, 
uh, as far as our practice, we've only we're we are. I think there's another forty something issues that we haven't read yet, so it could get brought that up. That have already so come yeah. out. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'll be very curious about that. Or, or I mean, Israel is kind of the most easy example, but this is something that you know Marsh, Marcus Garvey and a lot of black nationalists often mm-hmm. talked about in terms of returning to Africa, or like a number of groups have often talked about this idea. Um, I mean, some people even joke that kind of parts of San Francisco have been turned into you know a queer nation of of its own. <laughs> um, you know, and, and there's been some movements to do that kind of intentionally with neighborhoods like the Castro and stuff like that. So it's right. it is very interesting. It, it also Again, I'm still trying to wrap my head around how Professor X is okay with this and how Magneto is not constantly being like, I got you, dude. Like, I was right. And for me, it's always... <laughs> Will's got weird. a big smile. I, sorry. I'm I, sure. My only... But, I'm, I'm going to let you continue your, your sentence, but like, I just... I have this conspiracy theory going on in that we... Whenever we talk about this on the pod, on our pod, um, that something is up with Xavier. I... It, it's absolutely mm. – there are so many things that Xavier specifically has done on paper that is very not the Xavier right. we've had over the last 60 years. So I'm, I'm very he, and he's, interested. He's wearing Cerebro like a helmet these days all the oh, time yeah. and it covers his eyes and it's real creepy. Yeah, he doesn't – yeah, you only see his like his mouth now. Yeah. It's very mm. – It certainly might be a thing. Although what I, what I was going to ask about is – or at least make the point of is – it has always seemed to me like even Xavier is a little more separatist than he would ever admit because yeah. if he wasn't, he would want mutants going to public schools with other totally. students. And yeah. the whole idea of all these mutants come and live in my, my mansion, go to my school. In some ways, I imagine he could see this Krakoa as kind of the macrocosm of the same idea and that we're not going to withdraw from the world. We're going to play a part in the world, but we're still going to have our own little space from which to sort of be safe and be around each other and then go out into the world as we so choose. I think that's a really great reading. Yeah. yeah. And there there was a storyline where, you know, he was finally outed as a mutant and then uh, they started accepting human uh, students at the Xavier School and it caused a giant riot. And mm. so, like, uh, again comics you you let it go on long enough with continuous publication and every potential storyline gets right. examined but <laughs> um i i think you're spot on in that uh xavier is not um this sort of uh purely uh idealistic pollyanna you know detached from the world he understands he he built a paramilitary strike force out of teenagers for crying out loud like he's he's got you know the he's got a lot of uh he understands the the use of you know uh forceful action and uh assertiveness and a certain degree of uh separation or of you know he he decided to pose as a human and and pass for you know most of his right. publication history so all of this goes to show yes i you're you're really onto something here and that mm-hmm. he is a much more nuanced character than just being this uh sort of token or, or one-dimensional voice for integration yeah so what do you think of because we're sort of framing the ethical issues but we'd love to hear more about your thoughts on it 
as the story is going forward, do you all think like, yeah, Krakoa seems like the best way to handle this? Are there <laughs> big problems you're bringing up? I mean, it seems like on the one hand, there's a lot of good points. The whole, we still get to break all of your laws, but you don't get to break our laws does seem to have like my eyebrow a little bit high up. Um, what What's kind of your take on the, the ethical status of Krakoa as a solution to the X-Men problem? I think it's hard to take seriously as from a purely ethical standpoint because it's just creepy AF. Mm. Like, a part of this, I think, is just the tone of Jonathan Hickman's writing personally, but part of it, I think, is intentional, is that there's something off here. There are big mysteries that aren't being addressed. There are things that certain characters know that the general population of Krakoa doesn't. Um, And yeah, that's weird. There's also, at at some point on this pod, I I would like to talk about some of the, um, the practical problems that this is, you know, this brings up, but just from this general perspective, yeah, it, it, it it doesn't leave you with a good taste in your mouth. It's very like so. I get into this conversation a lot about this isn't how the character has been traditionally, and I get told frequently by Steve to it's just comics, just get over it. So like, um, <laughs> but in every like in every scene that we get that's set within the nation of Krakoa, everybody's getting along. And it's so strange. Mm. Like people who traditionally have been enemies get are are hanging out and having drinks together. You have mm-hmm. um you have this governing na- uh um group of twelve that um Xavier and Magneto and Apocalypse are on together and they all have very civil conversations but it's also like nine of them are villains and three of them are the heroes and the only word of like positivity I guess um, that could come from these conversations and at this table they are writing and rewriting the laws and and processes that Krakoa lives by and like mm-hmm. when you have that many traditionally bad people writing the laws of a what's supposed to be a benevolent nation I, I don't see it going well <laughs> yeah no that's fair I mean I see these 12 are not democratically elected necessarily or no they were all cho- they were chosen by, well they were really chosen by Maura McTaggart she told and, Magneto, Apocalypse, and Xavier to, who to go get. And on top of that, they also have this unsaid rule that no one else knows except for these uh, four people that they're not allowed to have any precogs on the nation. Uh, also, Moira... People who can tell the future. Also, right. also, Moira has made her resurrection secret to everybody except... Uh, what, Professor X and Magneto? Yeah, I don't even think Apollo goes So, I- I've spent enough time among the stranded panda community that I believe I am now contractually obligated to say, so clearly Moira is Mephisto. <laughs> um, but actually, I would just say, probably it's going to be Dr. Doom. Uh, it seems like the most recent thing. But l- let- let's get into some of those practical things, because I do think that there's a lot interesting there. And I, I guess one of my first questions is, how is the rest of the world dealing with this? Because I know... 
again, in kind of um, our own world, often when people are like, oh my God, I can't believe we have these people in our nation. Then when those folks do go off and form their own nation, they're like, oh, wait, that's worse. Um, <laughs> what, what has been the human reaction? But also, are there mutants who don't want to come and live in Krakoa? And how has that been handled? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the For the first question, what has the human reaction been? Uh, not great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, imagine yeah. being the king the kings of your table and having someone else show up and tell you you've been doing it wrong this whole time and you need to pay attention to me like that's what happened mm. at the world economic front like it's man yeah does T'Challa and... ever like pull them aside and be like hey let's talk about how we interact with the larger world when you're suddenly coming <laughs> on the scene like <laughs> you'd think right mm-hmm. they I, I don't think they've brought up that particular interaction yet uh with namor a little bit namor being the other um the the other most prominent sort of like king in who yeah separatist king who sometimes dabbles as a superhero he's Uh, the kind of aquaman of the marvel universe correct kind of he rules the land beneath the sea or something like that yeah he's the king of atlantis and that's the only he's he's he is so overdue for uh, a movie adaptation tangent alert tangent alert i was just trying to give context but yeah 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 yeah. he's he's so totally he he may might be the single best marvel character who has never been adapted into a movie but Um, back to our topic back to our topic (laughs) um he yeah so he's kind of dealing with his own stuff right now so he and he and magneto who have a, a very deep history together uh went on this awkward sort of mission together and they kind of almost talked about it but namor is like yeah this is all because namor is technically also a mutant and Mm -hmm. so it's like hey are you gonna join us be part of this thing he's like no i'm done with you guys i have my own thing going on also what you're doing is weird but like not my place later yeah he yeah he he made it he hinted towards the fact that he does not agree with their uh uh, yeah their approach to entering the international community Mm -hmm. um but so a lot of the X-Men storylines during the Krakoa era deal with the reaction to uh, from the, the mutant or from the human world. Uh, uh, Russia, for example, has decided that none of their um, mutant citizens should be allowed to uh, go to Krakoa, except for, I mean, they're not going to try and extradite the Russian mutants who are already part of the X-Men being uh uh, the Rasputin siblings, Ilyana and Colossus. Um, I guess anyone who's seen New Mutants, Magic was in the New Mutants movie, yeah. right? Yeah, played by Anya Taylor okay. Joy. Okay, I haven't, I, I haven't seen it, but um, now so I really want to see that character play chess with Magneto. But anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's um, so they're not extraditing those. Uh, characters but there there has been an ongoing sort of conflict which with russia which uh ooh, new cold war uh you know sirens going off but um you know it's it's really uh they're kind of the russian state is one of the primary antagonists of of this status quo they're not allowing russian mutants to go and so there have been a bunch of missions of x-men to go uh you know 
Russian mutants and bring them back, and then weird sort of spy game, subterfuge, all-out war, uh, acts of war going on. Um, And then the other question you asked, which I thought was even more interesting, is what do you do about mutants that don't want to come? And um, some of those are pretty peaceful. Um, For example, like um, there's a character named Pete Wisdom, who is a member of a British spy agency. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to stay here and do my thing. And they're like, cool, you have our number. You're always Mm -hmm. welcome. That's fine. But then um, Franklin Richards, son of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman from the Fantastic Four, he is also a mutant. And there is a big ongoing conflict that is mostly unsettled so far about whether or not he is going to live on Krakoa. Uh, The mutants keep coming up to Fantastic Four and being like, so Franklin, are you coming yet? Are you ready? Let's go. Mm -hmm. Come on, buddy. And Because the other thing about Franklin is it's not just that he's a mutant. He is uh, one of the most powerful mutants in the world. And they are trying to um, corner the market on top end extreme superpowers and so um he is of vital national interest and importance to them and they are pulling out all the stops to try and get him to come and it leads to a very strained relationship with the fantastic four and some very good storylines yeah i mean just especially because like if i'm from an outside person the fact that a person is invisible or has changed into a pile of rocks, or any of the others, I would call that a mutation. Now, I know that in this world, the mutants have a very specific definition of the X gene. Mm -hmm. But it's just just interesting because, again, the way this is, like, you know, in... I mean, use the phrase identity politics, but I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean, Mm -hmm. like, all of the questions that come up around shared identity and the political and social issues that can raise. I don't think it's a bad thing by any means. But one of the directions that can go is in terms of gatekeeping and deciding like who is or isn't officially, you know, part of this group or that group. And so it's, I kind of love that this is coming up here, but also with that kind of like, yeah, you're the child of those people, but you're actually one of us people. Yeah. I I mean, because that's actually a question. Like if I'm a mutant and I've lived in this country for 20 years and I've married a normal person and I have kids, can my family come with me? Yeah. Is it kind that, of like the EU where like as long as you have one par- person in your family who qualifies, your whole family can come <laughs> over? Like what's the immigration law here? So Totally. Yeah. It's 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 bonkers. I think that uh, got addressed, but I believe they're only allowed I I believe the humans are only allowed to visit. I don't think they can actually have like a mailing address oh. on Krakoa. Yeah, and so all of these uh, be, almost all of these mutants have at least one human parent mostly two and most of them are young and it's like you never want to hang out with your folks like you don't miss your you don't miss it and like you know siblings and all that or so there's one there's probably more than one but there's one off the top of my head human resident of krakoa and that is jubilee's adopted son shogo yeah that's right yeah and then um, he's also a baby, and so that's like, an, he can't really live. On yeah, his own. he's a baby, and <laughs> right. so that's an edge case of like you know is is this like like for example, uh, the biological kid of 
um, Sabretooth and Mystique was a baseline human and horrible anti-mutant bigot named Graydon Creed. Now, would he have honorary citizenship on Krakoa because he has two mutant parents? One like, of which is we, on the there, council. Sorry. <laughs> the other of which is uh, in a yawning void underneath the <laughs> island. Uh comics which is its own thing (laughs) but (laughs) so so there's there's all of these edge cases that you know are very possible and fun to think over haven't been totally explored yet and seem to be being made in a very ad hoc way there's also somebody like deadpool who has a ton of shared history with the mutants and kind of like he his healing factor was derived off of wolverines so like he's not a mutant but like his he's you could argue that he has the x gene because it was artificially given to him yeah but they say nope you're not a mute yeah you're not a mutant you're not welcome also i think he just we don't like you and you cause more problems than you ever solve right and and this to me is so funny because and i admit for me it hits very personally and i'm sure for a lot of people because these identity issues come up in so many different ways. And myself, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was talked before, my father is Jewish. A lot of that, that whole side of my family is Jewish. And so by some people's definitions, I am at least ethnically Jewish. I have mm-hmm. converted to Christianity, or not even converted, I, because I wasn't raised neither one, but I've been baptized in Christianity. And I practice Christianity as my religion, which also a number of people would say, therefore, I'm not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, Hitler would have been quite convinced I was Jewish, as would most right. anti-Semites. <laughs> and so there's always a question. And like I, I learned at one point that even after I'd been baptized into Christianity, I would still qualify for birthright, mm-hmm. which was a trip to like try to take young Jewish, young mm-hmm. you know, kids of Jewish origin back home to Israel to the kind of like, you know, give them the trip. And I, I again, I'm not going to get into commentary here. People get very positive or very negative opinions of that whole process. But... So that's coming up for me. But the other thing is, as someone who has, both from my family and also just from history, learned quite a lot about the history of anti-Semitism, I know that one of the biggest sort of uh, libels, one of the biggest lies that was often told about uh, Jews as part of the anti-Semitism, especially in Europe in the 17, 1800s, was that, oh, they think they're better than everyone else because they go live in separate areas and they keep themselves Mm. separate. And while there's some truth to the idea that some of those communities were intentionally separate because of Jewish laws and the like. There's also not like they were separate because the Christians would kill them if they lived anywhere other than these particular neighborhoods. And so, but just remembering how much of the hate grew out of this misperception and, um, you know, forgetting the cause of the separations like that, hearing about how much they're like the Krokoa is all about, let's, let's create a separate thing, you know, uh, completely on our own. Again, I'm not in the slightest way justifying that anti-Semitic libel, but it's kind of funny that that libel is now actually coming true in some ways with with the X-Men communities. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I don't really have much to add. I'm just agreeing because I I, I can't can't (laughs) shake my head (laughs) or nod. (laughs) (laughs) Not not without being made fun of again. I also then need to ask, I know that one of the concerns that is often raised when people talk about like bringing everyone in one group is if people want to attack you and wipe you out, it's now much easier. Is Now, granted, you know, wiping out a bunch of mutants on a mutant island, you know, it's probably a lot harder than in other situations. Well, but is that, well, I was say, is that a concern that's brought up sometimes? By, I mean, it's by happened. We're like, wait a minute. No, if I we mean, put here's all the mutants other... in one box, here's... they can just nuke us or something. Here's the other weird particularity about Krakoa. 
is that when Will was saying before that Krakoa, the island, makes these, you know, uh, plants these uh, that, you know, serve as wonder drugs, another thing, another plant that it creates is this flower, which you can turn into a teleportation gate. Uh, and so they've planted these flowers all across the, universe. the planet, the galaxy. Yeah. And so you've got... You've got sort of areas of Krakoa which aren't phys- physically locative mm-hmm. on an island in the South Pacific, which are still considered, you know, Krakoan territory. So, kind of yes, kind of no. Um, and this is also a thing that's been explored, you know, a lot in the history of comics. Um, the mansion, you know, Xavier's mansion being a frequent target of uh, attacks. Uh, or when they all lived on that island off of uh, the coast of uh, San Francisco. Francisco, similar thing. So yeah. Um. So. Uh, I guess I could. Uh, basically, the the way that Krakoa has approached the international community so publicly, I think works as a deterrent for anyone to mm. blatantly attack them like that again. And I say again mm. because it's happened plenty of times. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, Professor Xavier got assassinated within the first, like, two issues, and it turned out to be okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, every, I mean, they've they've effectively... The other thing about Krakoa is they've effectively solved death. They can return people to life, mutants to life with their full memories in a cloned body, just and like that. And their mutant no powers deal. back intact. Because they have, yep. they have um, depowered mutants who have died and been brought back with their mutant ability repowered, which is insane. And I think it's just because they wanted some... Uh, these powers back but whatever um <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. um, so, so this is one part gay rights versus queer liberation and one part monty python is what i'm getting <laughs> this, 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 yeah there's there's, yes. there's a handful of parts involved here um uh-huh. but so steve mentioned uh russia's response um which has become like a quickly thawing cold war approach um they they they're creating their own powered individuals um uh, other responses like the u.s's response has been like this black ops team to try and secretly assassinate or well, well, you know, actually secretly assassinate um uh xavier and and um there's been this international response of like oh i didn't realize the mutant community was this big or this powerful we need to step our game up and so there, yeah. There, and so, and St- Steve mentioned um, the like techno organic approach that that some have started going down. So there's been a lot of cybernetic um, experiments that have been more and more sentinels ramped up stronger. Um, yeah, big arms race. There's been other countries that have tried doing the biotech thing uh, that have been continually shut down by Krakoa agents within Krakoa. To make it so Krakoa is the only one that has a biotech industry. Like, they've got a monopoly on the biotech at this point. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there there have been responses. Most of them have been, oh, crap, we don't have as much time as I thought to respond to the mutant community. 
we need to ramp things up. No, no, throw as much money into R and D as we need to. We need something to compete with what Krakoa is bringing to the table. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it, it's. <clears throat> I don't even know how you could do it because it's such a complicated thing. It would have to be a TV show instead of a movie. <laughs> but I would love it if some of these issues came to the screen because you know immigration and border control like i mean just yes i I don't want this kind of thing to come into my my superhero movies like i don't want covid in the mcu but like (laughs) the last couple years have taught us that different opinions on borders and immigration are really important and that the degree to which racism and ideas of power and ideas of who has power and who controls things are are real issues in our own world and i love that um this story is mirroring them whether intent in some degrees, it sounds like intentionally, and in some degrees where reality is just catching up to fiction. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, we've gone about uh, more now we've gone uh, more than an hour already, so I don't want to go too much longer, but are there any other, or more of those kind of practical questions you wanted to bring up? Um, I, honestly, I would I would really like to see this as an open discussion uh, with more people who are not familiar with reading the book um i mm-hmm. I, re- I like i i i'm not very politically savvy uh but mm-hmm. i love listening to the discourse <laughs> uh so I, I'd, I'd be really interested to see uh some of the comments that come up after this pod goes live absolutely yeah, definitely definitely because i think especially um I, I know i've probably made some pretty outlandish statements that folks may have very different opinions on or but for anybody who as always, we always want feedback and comments, but especially on this one. And I'll tell you about how in a minute. Uh, you know, please write in, tweet in, Facebook us, whatever it is, because uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Whether that's you know this is so interesting, or how this connects to stuff that you're thinking about, or you know places where you think we're all talking completely out of our asses. Love to hear. <laughs> uh, Steve, what about yourself? Any other kind of last things you want to bring up? Uh, no, I, I think we we really covered uh, most of the nuts and bolts of it. It's nice. it it just you know this is an ongoing storyline in mm-hmm. the comics. It's nowhere near a resolution. Oh, one more thing that I did want to bring up actually. Uh, now that I remember, uh, it's I, I I'm I I always want to take authorial intent with a grain of salt because yada yada the author is dead. It doesn't matter that much, but I think it is interesting or telling to to look at jonathan hickman as the um you know as as the creative head on this project right and uh you know he he made some statements um during uh last summer during the uh you know the height of the black lives matter uh protests and and uh explosion uh of that movement that was going on and saying that um it he he was asked you know uh, x men having this long history of being a civil rights allegory you know asked him you know his uh for his support on uh the movement and he said uh some things which uh first of all he he supported the movement but he he said that um uh let me pull up the real quote here if you don't mind doing a little bit of editing no go for it He said, um, you know, um, 
I promised myself a couple years ago that I wouldn't ever explain my writing or comment personally on how I felt about what I was working on because I wasn't really interested in being the focus of attention I wanted my work to be. Uh, maybe that was wrong. I've spent the last couple of years writing about nothing but what's currently going on, and I think my feelings are clear. We are slaves to economic systems, the world is broken, and you can only stand on the backs of others so long before they rise up. I can, I believe that. Mm. Um, and... You know, uh, he he got some uh, some pushback in the on Twitter because that's what happens on Twitter, I think. But also that he was centering economic systems in um, a racial justice uh, that he's a white guy center, you know, talking explicitly about economic systems um, in in a racial justice movement. And uh, I think. I think, you know, I, I don't want to be the white guy talking, <laughs> doing the the equivalent, but I think that it's illustrative of, of an outlook that um, both he and, you know, uh, a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement shares, which is racism is more than just a set of personal biases. It's also an economic system undergirding the world. And if you read... Uh, a book that he was writing contemporaneously with the start of uh, his run on X-Men called Black Monday Murders that he publishes with Image Comics. It's about um, a uh, basically a group of um, stockbrokers and uh, people who worship money as this sort of mammon evil deity um you know, el- it's like eldritch horror capitalism. Fi- capitalism exactly. Uh, fascinating stuff. So yeah. uh, I, th- I think it's, it's worth looking into uh, Jonathan Hickman specifically as, as the creative head of this project to, yeah. to get a little more into the, um, the parallels and, and mm-hmm. the um, messages going on. For sure. And I think I kind of have two sides of that. One of which is that I think that that sounds really fascinating I now want to learn a lot more about him and maybe even do a full episode on him and his beliefs. The other thing is, and it's odd that I got this out of seminary because most people think of seminary as the exact opposite, but this is actually true <laughs> of a, a lot of the more liberal side of religion. One of the things that that really taught me, and I promise this is connected, but is the <laughs> idea of taking a postmodernist approach towards literature, particularly sacred literature, but really to any literature. And the, the idea there being that like, there's no such thing as the meaning of something that every time a person reads or experiences a text that they are having a conversation with it and that creates its own meaning. And like, so to give an example, they talk about like, you know, there are powerful pieces I read by um, Native American uh, scholars who talked about how they would read the book of Exodus. Mm. But from their perspective, they read about this glorious time of the Israelites coming to Canaan and conquering the Canaanites. And they sympathize with the Canaanites for very obvious reasons. And to me, what that kind of says is that I feel like there's a... The author's intent is important, but also if other people, particularly from different backgrounds than the author, are reading it and getting very different meanings, I think those are just as legitimate, you know? And so I think it's it, it's good to hold both intention. And in some regard, I can understand why some folks would get upset about him framing it more specifically in economic terms. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. White supremacy is the undergirding of capitalism. I also think it's a lot more than economics. Yeah. But on the flip side, sure. I also think if he had said, 
I, as a white guy, wanted to give my treatise on how to solve the race problem, <laughs> that also might have gotten into some hot water, you know? And so it's, it's absolutely it's, and I think it just, it just tell, talks to the brilliance of this medium and the idea of taking a set of characters and a situation and letting numerous people tell the story again and again and again over decades. It, it just allows such an interesting kind of thing because it's. Uh, here I'm going to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it's, it's connected. And I keep trying to figure out when to mention this. One of the things that I think is, again, I don't think that Magneto is supposed to be a Malcolm X stand-in. Yeah. But I do think that, at least in my experience, and the experience of quite a lot of white folks I know, I grew up hearing about Martin Luther King, good, Malcolm X, bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe Malcolm X got good at the very end because he learned from Martin Luther King. And that's why we have a Martin Luther King day and we don't have a Malcolm X day. And then I was in high school when Spike Lee made this incredible movie. And a lot of other people were, were talking a lot more about, wait a minute, white America has colonized these two men's history. And yes. actually, there's a lot more to their stories. And I think today, a lot of folks look at both of them as important leaders from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. The only point I'm making here is I, I went did some research in this. Magneto starting to be portrayed a lot more sympathetically happens not long after that kind of resurgence of understanding in white America about Malcolm X. As a black man, I ashamedly don't know too much history. Uh, I haven't done a whole lot of, you know, I haven't learned a lot about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and and Malcolm X. But um, your comment about uh, Magneto becoming more more sympathetic or understanding around the same time uh, was interesting to me because I don't, know when this change in perspective about malcolm x kind of came about but now it gives me perspective uh, a time frame <laughs> um <clears throat> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh yeah i mean so like in the 90s they explored magneto being um the leader of the x-men um in an alternate universe well that was the 80s well oh. i was thinking aoa did he do it in the 80s okay well in the 80s, in 616, he was the leader of the oh, X-Men. I, I missed that part. <laughs> no, in the 80s, it was it was a much more like uh, concerted softening of Magneto. They were trying to rehabilitate him uh, and make him into uh, a much more like, um, you know, yeah, yeah, traditional hero type archetype rather than um, going with the character they had. I mean... This was also the time where they established that he was, um, you know, a Holocaust survivor and that, you know, all of these things that we take as fundamental now uh, were were not established until much later in his character. And so, um, you know, you start to get some motivation, some humanity, some some nuance to the character. And then the next impulse is to say, well, this guy is really great. Let's turn him into a good guy. But I, I think kind of what you're what you're getting at as far as the more recent um, turn towards Magneto, because he was much more a straightforward villain throughout the 90s uh, and then kind of like wavered back and forth and then very firmly, uh, you know, into this anti-hero category uh, in the last 10 years or so, 10 or 15. And so that's, that, that is, yeah, in my opinion, uh, I'm agreeing with you. The, mo- the most interesting turn for him to to take the character that you've established and make that the the sympathetic or philosophically compelling character. Um, for sure. Yeah. And, and at the same time, being willing to make Professor X less of a clear mm-hmm. hero, you know, because I mm-hmm. think 
reading him through modern eyes, I've always been like, this mind-controlling maniac is just completely <laughs> paternalistic in all the worst ways. But, you know, that that's not how he's portrayed. But, well, this has been great. And uh, there's so much more we can get into, obviously. Uh, and obviously the story is continuing to unfold. What I'm probably going to do is now, every time I have you all on for a different topic, I'll give 10 minutes for uh, what news from Krakoa. Uh, give us the update. Um, but for fun. now, as I said, the best way to hear these two and what they have to say is on their own podcast. Tell them about uh, where they can find that. I'll do the promo this sure. time. Will you usually do such a good job that I'm oh, gonna, I am can't resist trying to screw it up. Uh, we have a podcast called Hype is My Superpower. You can find it on... Uh, Basically, anywhere you get your podcasts, any platform, and we talk about the things that we are hyped on. Hype being, um, you know, a, a, an animating force in our lives, the thing that gives us meaning and purpose. And, and so, uh, yeah, I am, uh, often read comics right now. I'm reading through a novel. Will is reading comics. And, you know, we just like to hang out, talk about the things we're interested in, and uh, it's a good time. And anybody feels like listening to that, we'd love to have you join us and yeah. ask us questions. Be part of the community. Definitely check it out. I know comic book nerds really love it. Uh, you know, the ones I've talked to, I know for myself, someone who just just the way my brain works, I can't get into reading comic books, but I love how much you all, kind of like you did today, you know, I could have a a serious conversation with you about Krakoa having never read any of the books about it. And I think a similar thing is I'm always able to follow your discussions. So please check that out. Of course, check out my other podcasts, the Star Wars Universe. Also, if you're over the age of 18, I have now <laughs> launched a new part of the superhero ethics uh, media empire. Uh, of course, I mean that in a very socialist kind of, you know, power to people, uh, but but money to me kind of a way. Um, of, uh, you know, I want to support everybody as well, but please help me pay my bills so I can podcast more. Um, but the point is we've launched Superhero Ethics After Dark, in which myself and Ashley Coffin are going to start taking on some uh, TV shows and movies that are definitely ethically laden, but but have some topics that are maybe not to be discussed with the under 18 crowd. I have my own ethical considerations about that, but I also have my ethical considerations about getting shut down or getting angry emails from parents that have corrupted their kids. So it is 18 plus, but right now we're talking about the TV show True Blood, which is a, a great TV show about vampires from HBO. It is raises interesting ethical questions about religion, about fear, about race, about kind of similar to this, about uh, vampires as a racial identity. While also wrapping it all in a lot of really erotic kinky sex. Um, <laughs> And, you know, half of it is talking about, like, the appeal of vampires and the lines of sex and danger and making interesting comments. And half of it's softcore porn, but it's good softcore porn, so we enjoy it. So if you're over 18, definitely check that out. If you're under 18 and listening to this, I'm sorry. I promise I won't talk about it often. If you're listening with your parents, again, I'm sorry. Please don't send me too many angry emails. It is 18+. plus. I won't mention it on here often. Uh, but also check out Superhero Ethics. Also, yeah, check out Star Wars Universe Podcast. Check out the Marvel Movie Minute, where I'm co-hosting and talking about Thor. Uh, Will has been a guest on that. I think, Steve, you're scheduled to be a guest on that coming up. So really excited about both of those. Check out all the other great podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. And if you want to let us know what you think, The Ethical Panda. Twitter, Facebook, possibly Instagram coming sometime soon, but I'm not sure about that one yet. I do have a TikTok, though I haven't used it in a couple months, but it's also The Ethical Panda. And of course, you can just go to the website, theethicalpanda.com, or just email us, theethicalpanda at gmail.com. So thanks so much, everybody. Will, uh, Steve, thanks for a great conversation, and have a great day. Thank you, Matthew.